Sucker, written and narrated by Mark Lingane. Copyright 2014. Episode 13. Angelina brought down the great cleaver. The rope severed and fell free. I snapped my wrists around in front and rubbed some life back into him. She knew how to tie a knot. I pitied her husband if she ever found one, but I knew she'd at least keep him with or without his consent. There was a click and the lights flickered into life, revealing the room to be a dissolute basement somewhere quiet where the debauchery could unwind. I glanced around the room looking for potential weapons or general weirdness. I'm sorry, I needed to be sure. Angelina said, Why the lap dance? I have to be careful who I choose as a friend. Make sure they're clean. Can I have my shirt back? She stood stock still in front of me with various bits of her body peeking out from underneath her cloak. Eventually, she said. I could feel her eyes crawling down my body. She was as highly charged as a penthouse on the bay. I nodded towards the burner and bowl on the pedestal. What's with the mini barbecue? She glanced over, seemingly reluctant to withdraw her gaze from my torso. She had to stop cutting herself a piece of cake, put on the brooksy and get herself a goof. It was a test. If you were one of them, it would have burned red. Their mutated blood does something to the garlic. So green means I'm okay. Normal people have no effect. All you end up with is cooked garlic. Green's a new one on me, but it wasn't red, so don't have to cut your head off. Not yet, anyway. I stood up and flexed my shoulders. It was good to get some movement back into them again. I cast the question out quick to slide in under her defenses. You heard of a rude? Her eyes widened like she'd been busted doing something indiscreet. Want to tell me? I said after waiting in vain for an answer. She let out a semi-deranged giggle. How can you not know what a root is, especially with those people flapping around? Let's pretend only you believe. She sighed and packed away her utensils, but not the knife I noticed, which she hid someplace about her person. It's a crucifix born from Adam's mouth. It's an old English word from the Middle Ages. It signifies the true cross, the actual wooden cross used in Christ's crucifixion. But phylogenetics isn't my strength. After a few moments of silence, she got the message. The seed from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She waved her hands around. Adam and Eve got kicked out of Eden for messing with the tree. Everyone knows that story. Adam starts to die, being about 130 years old, so he sends his third son, Seth, back to the Garden of Eden to get some of the juice of life, or whatever it's called. So much has been lost in translation. Seth's refused entry by an angel standing guard. The angel gives him a seed from the tree, saying it'll ease his passing. Place it in his mouth and all will be okay. On the way back, Seth's attacked, so he hides a seed in his mouth. But the seed makes people forget. As long as it's in your body, you can't remember. So he forgets what he's doing, gets lost in the desert, collapses and vomits up the seed. Then he remembers, so he runs back to Adam, who's now dead. He buries Adam with the seed under his tongue. Seth goes off and does more biblical stuff. A tree grows where Adam is buried on top of a hill. Jesus turns up, annoys the government, and is sentenced to crucifixion. 
They cut down the tree and make the roof from it. Then they nail him to it and raise him up so all can see. We all know what happened after that, but no one knows what happened to the rood. Some believe it was fashioned into a weapon too powerful for mere mortals. Some believe the Templars took it and hid it deep in some dark cave. But then some people will say anything if you give them the right drugs and stick a bag over their head. Where is it? She shrugged. It could be anywhere in the world. I think Jurgen had it. That man, the Moral Dune, how did he get it? He stole it. That makes sense. He called you. Yes, so he probably wanted to get into my panties trying to impress me with his large pole. At this juncture with our brief shared history, that didn't seem like an impossible task. Given the opportunity to meet the man with a large pole, she might have been eager. In which case, he would have been the prey. But she could play the desperate damsel card if it kept her talking. He blabbed on about how it was gonna make him rich. His mouth was having a party, but his brain lost the invitation. I picked up one of her precast relics and pushed it at her. Is this real? No. I nodded. How much was it? Several hundred thousand credits. I picked up the one next to it. And this? About the same, but slightly less due to the regressive cultural appreciation. I replaced it, wiping my finger along the shelf. It left a small trail in the light dust. Without looking back at her, I asked, How much is a rude? It's priceless. How much is the Ark of the Covenant or the Cup of Christ? These things can't be measured in credit value. I turned to face her, but they can. No, they can. She bridled. Someone will always buy. It's valuable. It's symbolic. The indignation was driven off her, and that's why he called. What? Over money? I can't believe that even a fool like Hugh Jarkin would be shallow enough to see it as just a pay packet. All the myths say it has immense ancient powers. Maybe it controls people. You know how the Bible stories go? That seems more of a reason to me. Ultimate power. They're all fairy tales, I said. Not all of them. Many are warnings, terrible admonitions of what's to come if you don't heed the tales. It's one thing that can bring Armageddon. The end of everything? No, the end of this. She threw her arms wide, indicating the room. The end of us, civilization, people. It'll clear away the past so the next evolution can start. The vampires think they're the next step in evolution. She was skipping on the spot, so agitated and tense she was having trouble staying focused. I grabbed her and pulled her in close. She loosened like a jelly in my arms. Her eyes fluttered and she pursed her lips. A small sigh left her mouth. As vulnerable and hungry as she was, she was still a good and innocent lost woman looking for the wrong kind of man. Her cloak fell open and crushed her naked body against me. Electricity flew back and forth between our bare skin. I thrust her away, her cloak spinning up and around. She stood like a rock with the cloak settling around her, her eyes on fire and probably her body as well. Get changed, I said. You're going hunting. We cruised past Limbo's, hoping to catch the California suite, but the police were there and their excessive demarcation identifiers left no way in. We watched them picking through the blue plate takeouts and mugs of Joe, joking with each other and not paying much attention to the world passing by. Angelina stood right next to me. She was dressed in the upmarket fashion all the free-thinking women were wearing. Tight leather clothing more in tune with flying a crop duster than shopping the strip. It almost looked like a uniform. 
She'd calmed down and was focused on the scene in front of us, with her obsession abated now looked like a good time to bring up my morning interactions. I've got people asking about you, I said. I didn't bother to look in her direction. She kept watching the slow hand straight ahead. Who? I shrugged. Bird and early. I furnished her with a description of the wacky pair. I've never heard of them. Her response was measured and deliberate. They could be using fake names. They gave me a card. I withdrew it from my pocket. That proves they must be real. She gave the card a dismissive glance and folded her arms. I placed the card back in my pocket. You're wrapped up in this. No more than you. Maybe even less when you look at the grand scheme. Do you know why? She gave an absent-minded shrug, still staring across the street. I'd guess it's due to my specialist expert knowledge. What did your visitors want? They think you have something. Stolen. She let out a laugh. Half the stuff I've got is fake. The other half is from my family and it's been without name for generations. It's not the kind of thing you can fake. I wonder what they were really after. The police were arranged in a close set pattern, the slow hands nearly bouncing off each other. I couldn't see Watcher. How big's the room? I asked. It's a staff. I'm guessing it's about four to six feet and made of wood. Something had caught her eye. Anything else? Mm. Her attention was elsewhere. Like encrusted jewels? No, it was a big piece of wood that once had a man nailed to it. How decorative should something like that be? Things change over time. Oddly enough, religious relics don't. Something to do with sanctity. You know what that means? You'd be surprised. Talking about being surprised, do you notice anything about the entrance besides all the fat cops? She indicated the dance of indifference by the constabulary collection. I stared at the scene for a full egg timer's worth of minutes. I shook my head. She pointed. There's a warning glyph above the entrance, a small cross in a circle. It wouldn't have been tough for them to get past it without causing a lot of pain. I wish I could have seen that. A thin smile danced over her bright lips. I have an idea. Without so much as a cat to do, she improvised a disguise. She reversed my jacket and put it on her, flattened my hat on her head. The leathers did a pretty good job of her looking like a typical slow hand. She made her way across the road and through the police and used jutting out bricks to climb up the wall. She reached the arch and lifted the small object off the hook. She danced back between the slow hands who were blind to her. The force was getting slack in its antiquity. She skipped across the road between the diesels and presented the circular object. What will this do? I asked. That devilish smile danced back for another go-round. She leaned in close and whispered, Just you wait and see. Her eyes twinkled. I turned it around in my hands, a circle of wood ringing a small wooden cross. The cross, more stone than wood, looked old. It's old. Even older than you. It's from the rude. It's a rude shield. There are only a few of them in the world, obviously. She stepped in close, wrapping her arms around me. I could feel the hunger of her body as she pulled herself in tight. I know you don't believe, but when you meet one of them again, think happy, pure thoughts. She took it out of my hand and placed it in my shirt pocket. And keep it near your heart. It'll keep you safe. I could feel her breath on my neck. Her perfume scent filled my olfactories, sending exquisite shivers down my back. And with that, she skipped up down the street, swinging off the streetlights. 
I shook my head as she bounced out of sight. She had failed to return my jacket and my hat. I couldn't walk a block without my hat, so I called into the nearest millinery and I got sized up on the in-store Kavanaugh, hot from his Milan training. While he was sizing and pressing, I went through my pockets and discovered the photograph of Hugh Jorgen singing his heart out with his adoring fans crowded around. It wasn't the original, so parts of it were a little blurry. I asked the Kevinar if he had a magnifying glass. He nodded and slid one over the counter to me, then continued with his blocking and pouncing. I ran the glass over the grainy photograph. It looked like the bizarre microphone stand was made out of wood. I pondered. Would Durgan be brave, arrogant, or insane enough to have it right out in front like that, hidden in plain sight? Wonder Boy, I said to the bouncy young girl at the stylist door. I walked straight past her without waiting for a reply and even avoided a double from Jackson. Wonder Boy was writing up set lists, waiting for the crowds to arrive and start creating an atmosphere. He looked over his reading glasses. Fine, the gentleman. I see you survived a better night. You've hardly got any bruising, not that I can see anyway. He raised an eyebrow. You remember Jorgen? Yeah. Anything odd about his microphone stand? He thought for a moment before shaking his head. He's a singer. I'm surprised he had a stand. Don't singers generally steal him from the drummer? Jackson leaned over. You remember his stand? He carried it around in that special black case. Wonder Boy clicked his fingers. Yeah, I remember. I only saw it once, like that old totem or something. Old carved wood. Cool idea. It wrecked it back carrying around for too long. Anything special about it? He laughed. You know what my memory's like after decades of drinking? I can't even finish the set lists. Where would it go? Wonder Boy and Jackson looked at each other. With you, I'm guessing repossession? Wonder Boy said. He smiled at Jackson, who smiled back. Big white teeth and coolness to spare. Then I had the double. I called in at a couple of repo places but got nowhere. They'd either stonewalled or I didn't care enough to give me any information. If I had no proof the rube was mine, they weren't talking. They being men counterpointed by burly offsiders, all muscle, no hair or neck. I tossed around some ideas about who might find it valuable. The repo men looked at it and all they saw was something that would be a heap of trouble to shift. Easier to grab a Gibson or sell an old gold record. But there was something else a musician could do when the funds ran low. Another place they could try so they could get their next meal. I didn't expect to see you. Lara said, opening her apartment door. I looked past her. The place was looking a little disheveled. Her voice wasn't completely cold, but her eyes were distant. She wasn't looking the best. Her face was pale and her spark was diminished. I have a request. I clutched my hat in front of me, humbled and remorseful. I was hoping for an apology or a dinner invitation. I'm working on it. I mumbled. Do you have PDB access? Its official name is the National Goods Recycling Database and Register. 
Her voice slipped a few degrees. I nodded. Pawnbrokers. I felt about a thumb tall. Don't say that too loudly. Mina's still here. She might get the wrong idea. Her voice thawed. Oh yes, I've got access. Could you run this number? I rummaged in my pocket and extracted the piece of paper off the back of the first gold record etched with S. Kane's name. She sighed and took it. It'll cost you. I don't have anything valuable. I looked down at my battered boots. She sighed. You've got issues with self-esteem. That's why you've got. Come back again tonight with a golden smile. Now make with the feet until you can take a hint. I backed away, expecting her to close the door. She just stood there looking at me. I felt like a teenager on a first date with my first love, and it had all gone wrong. Neither of us certain what to do next. She tucked her hair behind her ear and smiled shyly at me. I was guessing it cost her a lot to do that, and I couldn't even give her loose change. The records down in Government Central went back an eternity. Templeton 667 was included. It was a big house owned by various people over the years. The current owner was Phoenix. Every 50 or so years, the owner changed regular. According to the paperwork, it was built 300 years ago. There was an ancient photograph attached to the front of the file, taken not long after the place was built, by the look of it. In the picture was Phoenix, or as close to a relative as it was possible to get without relying on heavy-duty science or magic. I was no expert on skin care, but he seemed in pretty good shape for someone outliving a deep-sea turtle. Well, maybe it was a clerical error, considering general government incompetence and corruption, and someone had left the photograph out in the sun for too long. I wondered if Phoenix owned any other property. People who owned one old place often owned others. I unclipped the old photograph and got the elderly lady behind the counter to make a copy for me. She grumbled, glaring over her reading glasses with an attitude of disgust that muted a blue permanent wave. A smile had no currency here, and a grey world of bureaucratic ineptitude steamrolled over my attempt at lightness. She charged up the xerography machine in an old chester, cranking the handle until the room was humming with electrostatic charge and the corona glowed blue. Her flabby arms stretching the floral fabric in a dress wobbled with the handle's oscillation. We shielded our eyes against the eventual electrostatic discharge. She peeled out the copy and handed it over. I asked to see the other properties owned by Phoenix. She gave me a stare that froze parts of the tundra and kept it frozen until the ice age ended. She said it was impossible. That would mean flicking through an entire book of property owners. She implied that I should come back in another lifetime. I said I'd be back in one hour. I'd barely stepped out of the building before I felt the presence of someone following me. Poorly. Amateur hour. A couple of quick turns and double backs and I was able to make out the fellow. Not that it was hard. I ducked him behind a bus stop and watched Mr. Bird struck past. Then I followed him, an easy task considering how high his head stuck up above the crowd. He stopped glancing around wildly when he realized I was no longer in front of him. It was all I needed as confirmation. I turned and headed off across town.
I walked into the tank. The desk sergeant watched me carefully as I strode past. He tried administrative bureaucracy, but if you pretend you're deaf, you can get away with anything. The tank floor was full of bustling men and women, some walking around and others sitting on the sea of desks. The omnipresent naked globes hanging down on their extended wires swung occasionally sending eerie shadows over the bare brick walls. I burst into Watch's office. Are you following me? I leveled my finger at him. He spluttered out his beverage and nearly tripped in his eagerness to stand. He didn't have the confidence to debate me below waist level. What do you think you're doing storming in here like you own the place? He howled, asking a simple question. I growled. No, I am not following you. I was sitting down having a nice cup of tea and you've made me spill it. I'm working out through my memory to see if I can arrest you for shouting and disturbing the beverages. You come in here properly humble with your hat in your hand and your voice low and polite and your eyes full of nothing. I've got strange people visiting me. I sat in his low slung visitor's chair, barely able to see above the desk. Watcher towered above me. It's nothing to do with me, it's the people you types attract. I'm sure you're old enough to take care of it. He dusted his hand and looked indifferent. He slumped down into his plush leather chair and glared at me. How sure are you? Look, what do you want? He leaned forward on the desk, resting his elbows in the spilt liquid. There was a shout from outside. He sprung up and went to the door. He went to shout side and looked back over his shoulder. Stay here. He disappeared into the melee of the tank floor. I quickly went to his filing cabinet and flicked through the files. I searched through L and M and found Angelina's file. It would make interesting reading. I folded it into my pocket and sat down just as Watcher walked back in, loosening his tie. Are you tracking anyone I know? I said. He paused before he rose up tall and said, You are asking about privileged police information that could be being collected by top undercover agents to bring down the city's biggest crime ring. I tapped my fingers on the armrest. What about Lara? Mallory's relationship with this station or any special action she may be addressing is no relevance to you. Quite frankly, she's been difficult and unreliable lately. I was talking about her health. Oh, I see. Why? I'm a concerned citizen. Neither of us had an ounce of humor to weigh between us. The smiles were thin. If you've had enough of wasting my time, there are other people I need to see. He gave me a curt smile and indicated the door. I left the room and stood next to the door against the wall, which was as stone-faced as Watcher. I heard him pick up the phone and dial. Yeah, he was just here. I heard him say. There was a pause as he listened. What do you want me to do? Listen a Sir, can I help you? A young slow hand snapped my attention away from eavesdropping. Watcher's conversation was lost as the slow hand closed the door. No, I'm leaving, I replied. The youngster gave me a smile and indicated the exit sign. I stepped out onto the main street. The day was passing, as were the people. My stomach growled. It was well past lunchtime and I didn't care. Another pain was stabbing at me. There was only one person besides Watcher who had come into my life and got to know me, who was associated with Watcher. Lara. Thinking of that angelic face, I couldn't believe she would be so deceptive. But wouldn't she be the perfect person? 
No, she wasn't a betrayer. It must be someone else. But who? Lara had said mob connections went high, and that Levi was probably connected. I wonder if the mob also included Rami Watcher. 